This week on Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. Uh, I want to talk about something that's really important, and that's the advantages of mouth breathing. <laughs> welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Notorious Scoundrels Podcast. I'm Orchimedes, and I'm joined by Dashes and Endless. Say hi, gentlemen. How's it going? Hey, what's up? We're going to talk today about uh, Palpatine a little bit, since we just got his preview article. Uh, The infamous, suddenly infamous E-Web. Some list building. And uh, playing while at an activation disadvantage, if we have time. Um, But before that, uh, I want to talk about something that's really important. And that's the advantages of mouth breathing. Wow. What do you guys think? I um, think there's a lot of merit to it, you know? I mean, it works for Vader, right? Right? Yeah, absolutely. It's I great. mean, I increase the quantity of oxygen that goes into my lungs, I suppose. Higher quality than a, a, a nasal breath, for sure. There oh, man. That, yeah. Wow. That's, that's excellent. <laughs> um, also, you don't have to deal with bad smells. True. You can just pinch your nose shut. I mean... Just because you're breathing through your mouth doesn't mean you're not also breathing through your nose. You can do both at the same time. I mean, a lot, <gasps> a lot of a lot of times you go in in through the nose, out through the mouth. Like that's a very like common practice. That's true. All right. Can we just talk about Palpatine already? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, Let's talk about Palpatine. Yeah. So uh, so Palpatine's. Uh, full spoiler, I think, was put out on FFG's site this week. Uh, so I think the the only thing we were missing was the two pip card, the given to your anger. Is that right? Yeah, that's the only thing that um, was not at least visible uh, in fuzzy text on his yeah, we, on his announcement saw, article. We saw, and now you will die as the one pip, and entire legion is the three pip. But there was that one little card that had the Death Star throne room thing, and yeah. now we know what it is. So, uh, given to your anger, uh, before an opponent would activate the first unit, you may choose an enemy trooper unit. If you do, your opponent must activate that unit instead. Whoa. Uh, sign it an order token from its order pool, unless it has a face-up order token. At the end of that unit's activation, if it did not perform an attack, it gains four suppression tokens. Uh, goodbye, last first, Lukin. Thoughts? Goodbye, last first, anything? Yeah, but like, Luke, you know? Oh yeah, it's... The ability to force your opponent to spend an activation when you want them to is pretty awesome. You also get to pick the unit, which means it's kind of like a zero pip card, right? Because usually when someone plays a one pip, they have a very specific thing they want to do with that, and they usually have a very specific unit they want to activate. So even if they play that one pip, you can play your your palp two pip and say, you know, like say they play Son of Skywalker, right? And Luke's in a great position to charge and delete something. Um, you can say, hey, look, how about you, instead of activating Luke first, you activate this random naked rebel trooper squad on the other side of the map first, and then I'll go ahead and activate my unit instead. So it's almost like a like a negative one pip, actually. Yeah, it's pretty sense. cool. I, my favorite part of this card is it's like a pseudo two-order card, and then it gives Emperor Palpatine and your opponent an order token as opposed to like one other 
choice, which I think is like really neat. Speaking of, we should talk about, do you guys want to talk about Entourage and Battle Meditation real quick? Uh, do we want to talk about Entourage and Battle Meditation real quick? Yeah, we should. We should address it because, um, you know, it's it's widely talked about. So Palpatine, you know, has that Entourage ability, right, that says you can give uh, an order to a royal guard during the command phase. Is that what it says? I don't remember the card text exactly. but Yeah, so it says... Uh... While, yeah, while building an army, ignore uh, the rank of one Imperial Royal, Royal Guards unit during the command phase. You may issue an order to a friendly Imperial Royal Guard unit at range one to two. And then you use battle meditation to turn that order into issue an order to any unit on the battlefield for free, essentially. Or at least at the cost of the entourage. That's uh, what appears to be the case, based That's on the idea, yeah. Right, based on the text we've seen. Now, um, you know, I guess we'll see what Entourage actually says when we see the, you know, the updated RRG. But at the moment, it seems to work such that if you give Pal uh, Battle Med, you basically get a free order every turn, um, and it does not have to be to your card. Now, obviously, if you use your Battle Med order on something else, then you know you're not using your Entourage order on your Royal Guard. But it means like if it's that two pip, even though it's just Palpatine on the card, you can still use your Entourage Battle Med combo to give that order to something else. Yeah, I mean, so, I think it's super powerful. So wouldn't that mean with Now You Will Die, you basically get an ambush rolled into it thanks to Battle Meditation Entourage? Yes. Yep. Wow. Assuming, assuming that there is an Imperial Royal Guard on the table. And it Fair enough. Which, which is not a... Which is a which is a non-zero cost, right? Like, uh, right. Uh, you know, R Royal Guard are pretty good, I, I think, but um, like, I don't think you just want to take Royal Guard and, and Battle Meditation as a, you know, hundred and ten point. Here's an order token. Um, that seems bad. Yeah, HQ uplink is ten points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but it is a great. Uh, if if you want to be taking a royal guard in a palp list anyway, which I think you probably do, and we can talk about that, you know, and we actually do like a, a Palpatine deep dive. Um, but uh, you know, if you want to be taking a royal guard anyway for all the other things they bring you, it's a nice little bonus. Yeah, I I agree. Um, so at some point, um, we'll actually talk about uh the rest of palp other than just his nice two pip that we saw that's nice and new. Um, we'll actually have uh, the resident palp expert R1 on uh, when we do that. But For those of you not in the know, R1H4 is an Invader League player who is currently in the semifinals who made it there with Palpatine. So he, he's he considered something of an expert. With Palpatine and the only command card he had access to was the 3-pip. Yeah. I, I, just want, uh, I just want to clarify that because like, that's like... It's like running Luke with only Return of the Jedi. I, uh, he had the one pip. No, he did. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. He's only yeah. got the one pip. He doesn't only the one pip. pip. Sorry. So only running with Luke with Son of Skywalker, which I guess is a little bit better. But you know, um, I think I think that that's a pretty pretty awesome feat in and of itself. Yeah, he actually um, his last two games he basically won with that one pip, like. If you watch the replay of his last game, he just essentially deleted four units in one activation with that one pip. Yeah, I mean, 
it, it does something very similar to Son of Skywalker, except I think way better in that, you know, it's it's a game-breaking effect. To be able to theoretically attack, like, four or five times on your turn and dole out, you know, um, four or five immobilized tokens, you can essentially make it so, like, two or three squads just cannot move on their next turn. Which, I mean, clearly you're probably killing them too, but if you don't kill them, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, plus uh, two suppression per shot. Yeah, it's it seems really good. Um, speaking of, I did want to just hit briefly the the suppression component of the two pip. Um, it's basically if a unit does not perform an attack, it gains four suppression. Um, I think I'd want to caution people on using this just for the suppression part. Uh, I've seen some like pontificating about you know oh you could use this to panic a unit off the board that's off. In the corner somewhere. Um, I think that you know that this card is best used to mess with an opponent's important activation. Um, you know, it's notable that the force suppression is is gained at the end of a unit's activation, so it's going to strip one at the end of the turn, and then it's got a whole nother turn potentially to rally some of that off or get inspired or whatever. So um, I don't think it's super reliable if you're just using it, trying to use it to you know slap something with force suppression. I think. I think you want to make sure that you're using it for that uh, activation control mechanic. I agree. I, with that being said, there could be a really cool list that like hits them with "Give Into Your Anger" and then like hits you with like a mortar and like an e-web suppressive shot or something, and like gets you up to eight or something silly. But yeah, for sure, there are ways to like combo it. But for suppression at the end of a unit's activation is not like an unmanageable amount of suppression. No, it, it's it's just like a nice bonus, really. Yeah, that's the best way to view it. It's a nice little bonus if they don't attack something. Yeah, so stay away from the temptation to just use it for the suppression and uh, actually use it to manipulate the order of things on the board, and don't uh, don't just let it don't just let you know one half distract you from the better half. You know what I mean? I'll distract you from the better half. What? You are Whoa. the better half. <laughs> All right. Speaking of better halves, you guys want to move on to eWebs? Uh, the better half of this podcast, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about emplacements. So um, that was that was the latest release. The emplacements, the eWeb, and the FD Cannon came out. Uh, finally, we have them in our grubby little mitts. And we're going to talk, I think, about the eWeb. Uh, Initially, people were pretty gaga over this unit because it had such a huge dice pool. It's got like one red, two black, two white with surge crit for 55 points on a four-wound body that can get cover from barricades. So that was pretty good, all things considered. It's very slow because it has the plotting keyword, which means it can only do one standard move at speed one during its activation. And it has cumbersome, which means it has to stand still to fire or stand by to fire. So it's a really excellent gun. It's a cheap activation. It's got a lot of crit potential, but it's kind of tough to use, especially if you are in an open area where the snipers can just pick at you with suppression all day or just take wounds off you and kill you. Because, I mean, you only have four wounds. You're not exactly hard to eliminate, but still, it's 55 points. It's very cheap, so you can pretty easily fit three of them naked into a list and actually be in 
pretty good shape to build something around that that's um, really, really strong. Yeah, I mean, they are, like you noted, slow and defensive. Um, I've found, you know, as a Rebel player playing against them, that they can be fairly easy to mitigate just with terrain and, um, you know, just essentially working around their arcs. Because um, range three is really, like, not a very long range for something that is so incredibly slow. Um, but I think if you had one or two uh, and you had, you know, I, th I actually think one would be potentially good in a, in a palp list um, because of pull the strings, which basically allows him to perform a free move or, or attack with the unit. Um, helps him get into position a little bit easier. Um, I think if you're running e-webs, it's really important to make sure you win that turn zero and pick objectives that favor a defensive strategy. I think everybody is really down on e-webs, and I hate it. I think that they are excellent. Uh, you know, we're looking at a 55-point model that, I mean, I, I think you when you take an e-web, you're taking it to replace a activation or a unit that would have normally been a naked Stormtrooper squad. And I think for the 11 points in one wound you are paying to convert a naked stormtrooper squad into an e-web you are getting an amazing deal I, I, I sort of agree with that i guess my problem is like who's really taking a lot of naked stormtrooper squads i think maybe uh less people than should be like in in most of the lists that i run i try just because like the imperial heroes I think on average are a little bit more expensive than the rebel heroes uh, to like have one naked squad in the backfield to, you know, cap objectives with and stuff sometimes too. Uh, and I think for 11 points upgrading those naked like objective capping squads into a unit that whose activation can actually matter as opposed to just being four white dice at range three, uh, is is a pretty substantial upgrade. I don't think you want to use them like people are using the FDs to replace RTs, but I think if you think of them as just an upgraded like naked trooper squad, you can't go wrong with that. Really. The range three is still kind of limiting though, because they only get one move per activation because of plotting. So starting them in the right place or Heck, maybe even picking up rapid reinforcements to drop them by the end of turn two. That'd probably be wise because you have more information and you don't have to you don't have to show your opponent too quickly where they're gonna end up. And so you can like, you know, hold off for a little bit and then counter deploy your E web in a place where they can't really do much about it. And that would probably be really strong, I think. Yeah, totally. The other thing that I think most people need to keep in mind is that uh even if it moves, it can still shoot. It's just only shooting two white dice. So you can still suppress something with this. It's not super reliable. Uh, but if you think that you're just going to get the standby shot off, you might as well toss two white dice out there or take a dodge token. I think that more often than not, you're going to probably want to take a dodge token in a lot of those scenarios. But if it's towards the end of the turn, fire off some white dice. 
Dash mentioned something very important about activation order as well. Just or not activation order, but just um the the sequence of actions for the unit. Because obviously there's some that are just plain wrong, right? Like you don't walk toward a unit that can shoot you back at range three and then stand by in front of them. I think that's silly. Yeah, no, totally. If if there is something within range that can uh, already shoot you, you don't take the standby. If if it can not move and remove the standby off you, you should be probably just shooting your gun or taking a dodge token. Now there are a couple, you know, it's it's worth noting that that range three standby is three hundred and sixty degrees. It's not just your front arc. Um so like you said, they do have that that two white dice gun, but also potentially, you know, if you're facing a target maybe that's activated already or something like that in your in your front arc. Um and then another target moves into your side arc in that range three and activates the standby. You don't have to shoot the unit that tripped your standby. You can you can use that standby to make a move or to just attack something else. So, um, you know, like if you're facing, for example, rebels who have somewhat limited access to range four shooting, you might be able to actually set up a situation where you know a unit has to move into that range three uh, and potentially trip your standby without being able to strip it. That's true. Uh, being it, I think something that's overlooked very often is that you don't have to shoot at the unit that you is breaking your standby. You can shoot at any unit that is presently in range. So let's talk about like generators and uplink. Yeah, so uh, I think when we get around to talking about the FD, these will be more relevant. I think overall uh, the reason the eWeb is good is that it is so cheap. And I think that tacking on barrage generators and uplinks, while it might make the activation more effective, unless you are really trying to do something specific, I think you are just inflating the cost of a model that really, the whole point of it is it's because it's efficient. Yeah, when you put two generators on the eWeb, right, you're getting into the 70s for cost. And a DLT squad is 68. Yeah, like, so. like I, th I think the whole reason to take an E-Web is because you don't want to pay the points for a Stormtrooper squad with a DLT. And I don't know. That, that's my thought on it. Um, somebody could definitely prove me wrong, but I think that these are so much better on the FD cannon. The double yeah, they... aiming with Veers is pretty good. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say the FD is, you know, a totally different role. It, it fills a totally different role for rebels than the E-Web fills for Imperials. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I agree. That's a completely different conversation. Q, completely different conversation? Okay, for sure. Let's talk about the FD cannon, speaking of completely different conversations. So the FD cannon, it is a uh, the radar dish from Empire Strikes Back. It's a pretty recognizable unit. It's the first a rebel ground unit on a large base that is the ATSC size base. It's got a range four weapon with five black dice that surge to hit. It's got courage to six wounds. It is extremely tall, so it has a very good vision over the battlefield because you, of course, measure line of sight from the center top of the base. So you've got a lot of height there. Uh, it's pretty cheap. It's 70 points. It's got impact two natively, so it's Pretty good cheap impact there. Rebels, of course, always hurting for that long-range impact, so gives us uh, something we really do need. The trouble, though, running it at 70 points, 
is that it is stationary, number one, but that's true for any, any point level, it's stationary, so it doesn't move. So once you put it down, it's there forever. Not even like No Time for Sorrows can move it. You can advance positions it though. But uh, the trouble with running it in 70 points is because you might not have activation control over it all the time. And because the thing can't move, it can't reposition. So you have to, you know, put an order on it and wait till the last moment to see if you can shoot that round with it. So it's kind of a, you know, there's a chance you may not actually get to shoot depending on what your opponent did. But that's why you put HQ uplink on it because HQ uplink means it's always going to be ready if you recover every turn. And the theory behind the uplink is that then you can put a generator on it too, which means you're refreshing two upgrades instead of one with that same recover action. Plus you're adding the suppressive keyword at long range, plus you're adding a couple more chances to crit because you're adding two white dice. So it's it's definitely got some benefits to running the 90-point version with uplink generator. Um, a single or even a double. The trouble is now, once you're at once you're at the 90 point level, you're then competing with the laser RT for long range impact. But and the laser RT can move. That's the biggest issue that I see. Yeah, I think there's probably a sweet spot of exactly one for these things, just because, you know, if you do get screwed on deployment and on turn zero, um, at least you're only sinking 90 points into a unit that's going to sit in your backfield instead of 180. At least that's been, my, that's been my experience anyway. Exactly. I don't know. I I sort of feel like the FD cannon is a double or nothing situation. Like if you're if you're gonna take an FD cannon, I think you should take two, and I think that you should be you should have a hefty bid so that you can essentially um, force the battle to be where you want it to be. Uh I, I've I've just found that like I can ignore one FD cannon um, <clears throat> on a like you know intercept the transmissions or whatever, but I you can't ignore two. How much would you say is a, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but what would you say is a hefty enough bid for a list that includes two FD cannons or even like a sab list where you're you're essentially committing to a defensive list? Uh, I think you should be looking at probably at least seventeen. You know, uh, but but I do think that if you're taking the FD candidate at all, you've kind of put your eggs in that basket, right? Like, if if you're taking one FD and it's useless, you're already down seventy points plus whatever you're bidding. Like, uh, it, against a a player that is at the same skill level as you, that's probably already enough to do the damage. Yeah, I think even if you're taking one, you still got to go for a pretty strong bid just because of how important that turn zero is. For sure. To get to get your value out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, like, maybe if you want to take an FD and an AT rotary to, like, kind of make up the difference, that wouldn't be terrible. But I, but I do think that they're really good in pairs. If in the situations they're good, I think you want more than one FD, I guess is what I'm I ran a pair early in the league. It was really good. Then again, I had a 12-point bid before 15 was the norm. So, Yeah, I I did something similar. It's it's worth noting, too, that um, for the round robin for Invader League, snipers were not legal. That's yeah. not so true. Which is a huge thing. But yeah, I ran, too, also for several games, and I think I, I had a 11 or 12-point bid, and I was blue every time. But that's not enough anymore. No. The other thing, uh, I think these, maybe more than the E-Webs, these are... 
I know that right now rapid reinforcements is like clearly clear conditions, right? Uh, I think that FD kind of like brings in some of the, the chance that you can just drop an FD in somebody's backfield and that's really interesting. I don't think I've actually seen anybody do it yet. Um, but yeah, or, or just in your front, you know? Yeah. I mean, range, range four is a long way. Um, especially if you're a rebel and you're used to all your stuff being range three, like range four, e even when you can't manage rapid reinforcements, if you pick an objective where you got to fight over the center, which is, you know, most objectives, um, that range four goes a lot farther than you think it does. Yeah. I mean, it, it covers the center of the board and then, then some. A good trick would be to find a way to set up a crossfire with your reinforcing FD just to deny cover. Yeah. Uh, like I think overall, if you can set up some sort of crossfire, like on advanced positions is, is one of them. Right. And like it, yeah. and major offensive, I think is pretty good for it too. If you can like, organize your FDs in like a right angle sort of situation, I think you can start to kind of like box your opponent out of like the middle of the field, really. Long March is semi-okay as well, but I guess it really depends on the terrain. Like usually I stay away from Long March because it's, you know, you can't quite reach the middle. But if you have like KP Long March or something really favorable, you can be really strong with it. Yeah, although if you're forcing KP, your opponent probably gets to pick the uh, the deployment type. That's true. I mean, if you're um, forcing it, yeah. If you're forcing KP, though, uh, and you get KP, does the deployment really matter for where your FDs go? Because they're probably uh, going to be able to shoot at whatever comes to your key position. It, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does matter, but um, <laughs> obviously that's an ideal setup yeah. for a double FD list. Yeah, like, yeah, we love it. I, you know, and I, I think that that's actually like an interesting uh, thing to talk about, right? Like the ideal scenario for FD cannons is clearly key positions. And I would maybe argue that having FD cannons on key positions is an overkill. But mm. it, from the sense that like you don't need FD cannons, you've already got key positions. I don't think there's such a thing as overkill. Okay, all right. <laughs> Especially not on KP. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, if you're gonna if you're gonna say it's an auto win, make it an auto win. I mean, come on. That's yeah. Just make it like a chill game. You know, go crack yourself a beer. Yeah, just wait for your opponent to walk into your uh, walk into your teeth and uh, chomp them up. I'm gonna do that the next time I get it at a tournament. I'm gonna be like, oh man, I got KP. You know what? Let me just hop over to the bar real quick. You set up. I'll be back. <laughs> No, no, you bring you bring a beer can in a foam, mm. specifically for the occasion, and th and then you ask your opponent to hold it. Exactly, yeah. hold my beer. We we can actually, hold my beer. We can actually do this at our game store because it has a bar. This this is gonna nice. happen next time. That's true. It does have a bar. You know what? I have not let yet leveraged that. I need to. I need to get on that. Isn't there a tournament at Huzzah coming up? There is. I think it's in a week and a half ish. Yep, November seventeenth. If you're anywhere in the vicinity of Virginia, yep. come hang out with us and come to attorney at a store that serves beer. Yeah, Huzzah Hobbies. It's in. Uh, I don't even remember what the name of the town is technically. Ashburn. Ashburn. There it is. Yep. There you go. Huzzah. Free plug. Ching. Yep. You're welcome. We accept beer as payment. Right. 
or those pretzels that you guys got because they're dope there yeah um this is also actually we'll probably talk about this tournament because there's at least what like 15 people by now signed up uh, yeah, yeah so it, it it is sort of an flgs tourney but it's going to be relatively big and i know for a fact that there's at least five uh adepticon invitees going so um, dang yeah it's not going to be a slouch for, for the size no. of the tournament there's going to be a lot of people that have adepticon invites there for sure which is awesome yep so what what do the elite play when they're playing more casually? That'll be an interesting question. I will tell you more in two weeks. Triple saboteurs. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record. Yeah. All right. All right. Should we move on? Are yes. we are we are we FD'd out? Maybe I think we're FD'd out. Maybe that's a good segue to list building. What do the elite play? <laughs> um so yeah, let's talk about list building. What if what would your What's like the first thing you do when you're building a list? Uh, I mean, I, I think that the kind of generic place and most intuitive place to start is like your commander, right? Like it is a requirement. Uh, and the way Legion plays with the command cards and everything, it just, it's it's all about the commanders when you're building your list, I think. Uh, and And you should really gear it towards what you're trying to do specifically. Uh, I, I think that that's kind of interesting because we don't have a lot of commanders to pick from right now. Um, like right now it's pretty much Luke Leia or Luke Han or Han Leia on the rebel side. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't think that that forces a lot of interesting list building choices, but I do think that that's the anchor. I will say that, um, you know, each character or a combination of characters does have a very different flavor not only from the command cards but also from the kind of list that you tend to build around it that's for sure um there just isn't a lot of uniqueness to it i feel like right now though so, endless were you playing the super friends list at all i i was and that was just like primarily that was a flavor thing and i wanted to try chewy because i love chewy um, but I saw, I noticed the synergy between Chewie, Han, and Leia was definitely present. And I started from there and I was like, okay, well, how can I build a a decent list around this? And I think, um, I think you can start from not only from the characters, you can also start from what the core looks like. Yeah. You kind of say, okay, well, I know that I want the main body of my army to be four Z6 troopers. How do I build around that? And how do I make that good? Well, I take Leia because dodges. I take Luke because Luke's a, a hammer. I take, you know, snipers because they need some range four shooting to round things out. And that's like the, that's kind of like the fundamental thinking now, I think, with the rubble list building. So that's kind of where I start, where I start. But uh, I took Super Friends just because uh, I love the synergy and I love the way they play together. And I was also thinking, like, how can I make a list that doesn't, get carried by luke <laughs> was my big issue like how do i solve how do i solve rebels by getting away from luke that is the struggle i mean i guess it's a good problem to have right he's so good you're like what do i do without him yeah i mean i'm envious sometimes when i'm playing vader i'm like man i really wish i had jump or speed too I, I think that that's a you know going forward um that's really the question to 
to be answered on the rebel side of things like how do you make an effective list that does not include luke skywalker and i think again that's like a, a good place to start when we're talking about anchoring your list building like with that idea in mind where do you go yeah i i don't even know i mean i think until chewie comes out han is gonna be sort of incomplete feeling you know i've, I've tried han leia lists um they can work, but I just don't feel like there's a lot of, you know, like if you run up against a Vader or Luke and you don't have Chewie or Wookiees to deal with it, you're like, all right, well, what do I do? I mean, it, it's a endless and I played a game like this actually yesterday. I was trying to see if I could run a Han list against Luke. Um, and it's it's just really uncomfortable because when, once Luke gets up in your grill, you could just throw a lot of bodies and Z6 fire at him and hope for the best, you know? I mean... You kind of take for granted like how much taking your own Luke uh, gives you as far as like melee engagement management. Um, it's not that Luke even necessarily does a lot of damage to like another Luke or Vader. It's it's just that you know they're a nice anchor, um, and and with Force Push they can uh, just really help manage like what your opposing Luke is doing. Melee units also like tie up shooting, which is going to become a lot more important the more melee units we get. But that's the biggest problem I see if you don't take a Luke in your own list is that you don't have any threats once you're in melee. It's like, well, what am I actually afraid of here? The answer is nothing. Yeah, I think that if you are not taking a lightsaber, you really, when you're building your list, you really need to consider how you're going to handle a lightsaber because you're going to play against one and you need to know how you're going to deal with it. That's sort of a good segue, uh, slight segue into the, um, you know, like when you're building a list after you've kind of picked what your, what your anchor characters are going to be is, you know, like your next question is, well, how do I deal deal with various threats? So threats like you said, like a lightsaber. How do you deal with a lightsaber? How are you going to deal with like a Weiss ATST if you see that? You know, how are you going to deal with if somebody gets ballsy enough to run like triple flamers? You kind of have to think about, you know, in, in your toolbox, like what tools are you going to put in there to deal with these various threats that you may or may not encounter? It's like, well, hopefully Luke can kill one or two before they do too much damage to me. You, you kind of, you're trying to come up with an answer for the question. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that similarly to like how, you know, magic decks play out or X-Wing metas kind of shake out, you know, there are there are some lists that you are like just not going to be advantaged against, and and I think that you need to understand that when you're building your list, like you can't be good against everything. Like you might be able to deal with a Luke, but you might not be able to deal with an Weiss ATST, and you kind of have to be okay with that concession. I think to some extent. Sort of like in our game, Mark. You know, I knew that I couldn't handle armor on mass, but I had a plan for dealing with it. And it sort of worked. Yeah, you kind of just, um, you know, we were on uh, uh, Bestman, which is a, a map on TTS. Um, and it's got a lot of, like, sort of linear heavy cover. Um, so I had three rotor ATRTs, and you did a good job of kind of limiting my firing angles such that I was always trying to shoot you through heavy cover. Um, and just kind of managed it with, you know, dodge and, and heavy cover and rebel troopers. Um, and eventually you were able to get Luke up in my face. And after that, I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. 
not only that, like I got a little bit lucky too, because like I want to kill them off if I can, but obviously like the troopers are high priority for me. And plus, you know, the only weapon I even have that comes close to damaging one of those things is the Z6, just because of the crit generation. I mean, you you got Luke, right? True, but Luke Luke is. I don't want to throw Luke against three ATRTs because they can actually just melee him to death if they're maneuvered correctly. That's true. Um, yeah. Very reliable melee, those RTs. Yeah, those three red dice. Yeah, it's nasty. It's better than Vader sometimes. I will never forget the first time you donkey kicked me in the face with an ATRT. And I, <laughs> and I was just like, oh man, this sucks. Uh... Yep. <laughs> yep. That melee is 360, no fixed front on that melee attack. It's really good. It's way better than I thought it was the first time. And like reverse melee people with it, speaking of donkey kicking. Yeah, there's actually an argument, I think, to be made for certain builds with naked ATRTs. Um, I know Riggins tried this in, in Verity League Season 1, and he made the finals with two naked ATRTs on his list. So That was a really cool list to play. Like That opened my eyes to activation spam. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, like, holy crap! I have so many units. I think that when you're building your list, like speaking of activation spam, that's a good thing to to keep in mind when it comes to you know, like how you want your list to operate. Like a, a list that has loop that operates on eight activations is a very different list than a list that has loop that operates on eleven or twelve. You know, just because you can wait out your opponent. Uh, with an 11 or 12 activation list, you know, and then last first with Luke seems really good. And then if they're padding with snipers, if you catch their snipers in the open with a bombard or artillery and just like eliminate one or two right away, that's devastating. Yeah. That puts you way, way up going into turn two. Yeah. Um, you know, deciding how many activations you want is, is, a pretty important part of list building also there's definitely like a balance between having too many cheap ineffective activations and then having not enough activations to have proper activation control like if you're trying to fit in too many toys and upgrades and stuff like that and you're only down to like seven eight activations you probably don't have enough but at the same time you know you also shouldn't just take like a bunch of negative uh naked trooper squads and try and pump yourself up to 12 or 13 activations just for the heck of it, because you're just going to be running around with a bunch of useless activations. I think the most egregious example of upgrade bloat that I know of is uh, fleet troopers with targeting scopes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, that's not great, folks. It's really not. <laughs> In general, I think... I don't. I don't think I've ever seen like targeting scopes be super effective for six points. I. I mean, it's one of those upgrades that I. I don't think is good. Like it just. It's not efficient, and really that upgrade is like all about efficiency. When you when it kind of comes down to it, like being it re rerolling an extra die, as opposed to rerolling two extra die, like ooh, I get to reroll three as opposed to two. Like I. I don't think it changes the math that much. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, I mean, maybe if it was like two points, but it's like six points. So. Yeah, if it was, I think it would be reasonably cost at two or three points, and I think it would be fine. And I think people still wouldn't take it for the most part. Right, and this is good though because this is like another discussion that's kind of like catacornered to what we're trying to do with building. 
which is you know when you when you think about the upgrade you have to actually justify its presence you can't just take it because yeah i think that's good you need to actually have a real argument for it that you make with yourself like why should i take this well i can pass difficult terrain i could uh, get a free aim token which most of my attack my economy this is in the case of like hunter with commandos you know i have a justification that's actually solid for taking this upgrade yeah and that goes for units too like every unit Every card that you put in your list, make sure you know what its purpose is and how it works with the rest of your list. Don't just take a unit because you're like, you know, think it looks cool or something. Like, make sure that, I mean, you can do that, obviously, but like, if you're trying to build a competitive list, you want to think about every single point that you spend and every single unit that you put into your list because those extra couple of points that you're spending on targeting scopes could be, you know, a little bit more of a padded bid or if you're taking a bunch of them maybe you can even fit like an extra activation in there um, i think you'd be surprised you know the first couple times i built a list i threw in like lots of extra troopers and some grenades and stuff and um, eventually i started slowly stripping those out and you i think you'd be surprised how much more like actual meat you can fit into your list if you're trying to be really thin and purposeful on your upgrades yeah, I, I mean, I think that an interesting um, one to talk about is grappling hooks. A lot of people have been turned on to it lately. Um, I have a really hard time getting on that train. It's just like, it's a clear example of an upgrade that you will not use 100% of the time, like in a given game. Like, I don't know. Um, it. I, I struggle with putting that on my guys because it's just like I could spend those three points somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, I know I have one very specific purpose for the strike team. Yeah, sniper strike hide. team. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then grapple up to the top and then shoot after after the danger from barrage has passed. I just like you're not even guaranteed to have something that's like worth grappling up. I completely agree with you, and actually, I leave I leave one of them hanging every time. Yeah, like, but it's nice to be able to flex, and I don't know what else I'd spend those points on. Sure, and and I think that that's where like the three point upgrade, the three points makes it a little bit more viable. But once we start talking about six points for targeting scopes or six points for hunter, like you need to have a good reason to put that on whatever you're putting it on. The difference between three and six is pretty substantial. Especially the ten point ones too, like the extra trooper versus uplink, or you know, it's going to get even worse with the officers too. Like, why am I taking an officer on this unit? No, really, why? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that like officer bloating is going to happen more often than you Unless think. Com specialist bloating. There's just definitely a danger there because you can then you can spend twenty four points on a com specialist and. Uh, that's been spoiled already. Comm specialist is nine points, and a comms jammer for twenty-four points of bloat before a Z six. So you could bloat your your forty-point rebel trooper squad all over its cost, like forty-eight points of bloat. I mean, that's kind of stupid. I mean, with what we know right now, I I don't think the comms upgrade on normal trooper squads are very good, frankly. I don't think so. Either. I think that there's like a corner case situation where. Um, like an uplinked rebel trooper squad is good with reckless diversion. Uh, that's about the only thing I can think about what you would want to do with it. Yeah, we'll, yeah, have to, we'll have to see what happens in the future, but there's probably something in the pack that we don't know about, but we'll see. 
We don't have to talk about that. Uh, so we should talk about the number of activ- Did we talk about number of activations already? Where are we? Gosh, I'm lost. We are in the yeah. middle of list building, talking about okay. talking about the number of activations you want on your list. Thank you. And- awesome. I know. Got to get with it. Right. So yeah, you have been casting for like four hours. So we'll, we'll yeah, you, I know. Give you a break. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say like, there's not like an ideal specific number um i think there's probably a range like and for rebels your stuff is a little bit cheaper so you can fit in more like i'd say for rebels you probably want you know 9 to 11 or you know if you want to get crazy you, and you think you can make a good list with 12 without having too many useless activations um with imperials i think you can probably do like 8 to 10 or 8 to 11 and that's a pretty good range yeah i i will say that Whenever I'm building a list with Imperials, this is the thing that hurts me the most inside when I'm building a list, is that um, it there's just not a lot of room for things. I feel like, you know, Veer's Boba is you know 200 plus points, Vader's 200 plus points. It just feels really constricting on, on our activations. Um, I don't know. Oh, the Veer's Boba is cheaper than Wonder Twins. Yes, that is true. Um, but yeah, Imperial stuff in general is more expensive, so it's it's a little bit harder to manage like a high activation count in an Imperial. I mean, list. like even you know you, you spam DLT squads, like it's still more points than a Rebel Trooper squad with Z six. You know, it just um, it gets out of hand very quickly. I, I think too that like the mix of your activations is very important. Like you want to think about how your activation control is going to play out over the course of the game. So what I mean by that is like, generally speaking, you know, when you're going to your bag, your token bag, you want like a good idea of what it is that you're going to pull. And if there's tokens in there that you don't want to pull, then you want a way hopefully to try and avoid pulling those tokens. So whether that's like using a combination of HQ uplinks or throwing something in their like improvised orders, um, making sure that you know you're taking enough core units to have like part of why core unit spam is a thing is because if you're taking like five or six core units, you're you're padding your bag with one specific kind of token, which means that you know if you've only got like a handful of non-core units, you know your your commander, or your operative or two and some special forces or whatever, then you can give orders to those other units with HQ uplink or, you know, your command card and have a reasonably certain idea of what it is that you're going to pull from the bag. I think going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how the meta ended up, like, shaking out. You know, we're getting E-Webs and FDs, like, a week ago, and we're getting um, Wookiees and IRG coming up, and I think lists are going to start to diversify like away from that five or six trooper spam considerably and i'm interested to see what that ends up happening to, like how that changes things because uh, i i think it's kind of a lot of people are just spamming troopers because there's not much else to do right now it it does make your activation control better but I wonder how much we're overrating that presently. Like, there's clearly value in it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 
I still don't think you'd see like going below four. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think you'll definitely see lots less uh, like six core unit lists, just because there's there's more fun toys to spend your points on, and there are more ways to mitigate it too. Like I said, with HQ uplink and improvised orders, so. Or entourage and battle meditation. Yeah, there's that too. I uh, I can't wait to try that out. That's gonna be fun. It's gonna be all sorts of fun. Um, cool. So, do we want to kind of like thread that into activation disadvantage and how to play against it? Uh, definitely, because that's gonna be a big topic coming up. Because if you do choose to diversify, you do choose to go down in activation count. You have to figure out a way to compensate for um that eventuality and the envelope is getting pushed um there is an imperialist out there now with 13 activations that's veers with 60 lts three e-webs and three sniper strike teams and it's got 15 points to go so you've got some room for small upgrades here and there uh, i would just sit uh, on that 15 point bid and bring on the yeah you could list. just sit on the bid you know, like come at come at me oh. bro Completely. You don't even need to fill that, fill those 15 points up. But uh, let's talk first about why being lower in activation sucks. Um, so there's some of you are familiar with chess, probably in our audience. Um, there's a term from chess called uh, Zugzwang, which is a German word. It basically means when you can't make a move without putting yourself in danger. That means you have to make a move that you'd rather not make. In this case, you know, you're walking a unit forward that's going to get shot by the other two units that haven't activated yet. So that's the biggest reason why being low on activation count kind of sucks because you've got, you're giving your opponent room to do things in the round that you can't respond to until the next round. And there's a few ways out there to mitigate that. And I think the biggest one is avoid going first. And this is sort of like just, um, you know, sort of counting the activations as they go. So let's say you've got eight activations, right? And your opponent's got 10, which is a common situation if you're an Imperial player, right? Um, you want to go second, because if your opponent's going first, you take your eighth activation after their eighth activation, and then they have nine and 10 left over. If you go first, you do your eighth activation first, and then they get eight, nine, 10, three in a row just to do whatever they please and likely they're going to just go completely offensive and try to blow up one of your activations because you've no longer got any kind of way to defend or respond to them there's no more danger that round for them now of course they'll have to look into the next round if they're you know looking ahead that far but in the simplest terms people look at um activations that are hanging at the end of their turns as just opportunities to do damage. So you want to limit the number of uncontested activations that your opponent is able to get at the end of the round by going second. So play low pip cards or, you know, standing orders even until absolutely necessary and then play the big card. that's going to give you the swing that you need to enter the turn on very strong footing. So that's like number one, just try not to go first. That's the simplest uh, way to mitigate it. But there's definitely a lot more to the story than that, which I think some of our our other casters here can comment on this as well. Well, I just uh, wanted to follow up on 
you know, like you said, when you're taking that swing, sometimes obviously you do want to go first, but um, I think generally like early in the game, the first couple turns, it's best to just try and be as reactive as possible, um, especially as Imperials, you know, where you're likely to be down. Um, and this is a good skill to have and just build up as Rebels too, just because, you know, over the course of the game, stuff is going to die. And there's a very good chance that you're, you know, could find yourself playing from behind, and you need to be able to do that when when that uh, situation arises. Yeah, I, as someone who plays Imperials almost exclusively, I standing orders on turn one against rebels a lot, um, just for for the exact reason we're talking about. I'm down by two activations, and I really, really don't want my opponent to be able to make, you know, three activations at the end of their turn with full information like and it's worth noting that you're normally a vader player so like if your veers you're probably not in a necessarily in a similar situation you you're probably playing you know most likely you're playing maximum firepower first yeah, turn which is kind of one of the downsides i think of veers if you're in a low activation list <laughs> you Right, you play veers bombardment right they play coordinated and then you pray that you lose the roll off Kinda right. Yeah, or you know, <laughs> they play no time for stars or something, and then you're 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 host. But yeah, exactly. Um, you can run pretty high activation count lists for sure. Beers, um, also, but yeah, definitely if you're running a Vader list, like it's it's not the worst idea to play standing orders on yeah, the first. Yeah, and turn. none of his cards are good on the first turn. And the only reason that you might want to play like assault or something is so that your whole bag is troopers. But. But generally, yeah, I think that that's a kind of ma making sure that you're able to control the flow of the activation orders and don't get kind of screwed because you decided that you wanted to go first on a turn where it really didn't matter. Like, you need to be able to identify that before it happens. I think, too, you want to, you know, over the course of the game, obviously, activation advantage can change. So you want to really focus on, like, eliminating opposing activations um which you should be doing anyway but definitely if you're down activations it's even more important to just try and focus fire on specific units to get their activation count down theoretically i mean you're if you're down on activations the quality of each of your activations should be a lot higher i mean maybe not a lot but it should be higher than the average quality of the activation of your opponent you should be able to you know take out like one or two of their activations by turn two or turn three and if you haven't that should be a, a pretty big red flag that you're not winning the game right now right this has to plug into like a larger plan to kind of right the ship you know get yourself back on an even footing another important tool you have potentially and again this is something you should be doing anyway but it's especially important if you're down activations is to, to use suppressions uh, suppression to deny enemy actions you know, target units, target opposing units that have not yet activated with your ranged attacks and throw those suppression tokens down in the hopes that you can reduce their ability to take two actions. Denying aims to stormtroopers, for example, super important because they, you know, have the precise one, so their aim token is automatically more efficient. And so suppression is super helpful, especially if they haven't been fed one already by Veers. Yeah, I mean, I think with the uh, addition of snipers too, um, you know, and to some extent like Leia's bombard, like just 
tossing down suppression on key one courage units so effective at the, the first turn to just like deny them that like they can't move and shoot or they can't double move um, that helps you kind of eke back into that activation race a little bit faster right you're you're actually lowering their quality because you're limiting them to one action and that's kind of like the big point is that you have to kind of focus on lowering the quality of their activations because you can strictly be down activations but if those two activations they have over you are like a, a rebel trooper unit leader and a wookie on one health like who actually cares you know it's not going to do much to you I mean, unless the Wookiee's got tenacity, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I was going to say a Wookiee on one health. Uh... That's actually not bad. <laughs> no. Okay, well, let's make a two Rebel Trooper unit. There you go. How about that? I, so... Until they roll a crit into your non-Pierce Immune hero and I kill you. Generally speaking, I have found that once two armies kind of hit the like range one slash melee engagement portion of the game, uh, quality of activations tends to start trumping um, number of activations. I, I found that the person that has way more activations has like six units they want to activate, and I've got two. And I don't really care what order the rest of my stuff goes in. Um, so I'm going to activate Vader and this IRG squad. They're going to bash your face in, and they're going to delete a couple of units, and then you're going to try and make do with what you've got. Yeah, if you can make it so that late in the game you've got, you know, a high impact unit or two left on the on the table and your opponent's got a bunch of like troopers floating around, that's obviously an ideal situation to try and set up. So this also kind of, you know, goes into uh you know, reading the board because we talk about quality of activation as well. We should also talk about interact, you know, activations that are interacting with each other and those that are not. Because especially in later game scenarios, you have often the action gets a bit spread out. And especially if you're using like recover the supplies, you're using evaporators where there's action going on in disparate parts of the board. You have to actually look at what's about to happen and try to read the situation and say, okay, well, you know, he might activate this unit, but it doesn't affect what I'm doing over here. So it's really not that important that I, you know, don't go with this unit yet. Or, you know, even if he does out activate me. You know, I'm going first with units that matter more than his because his are far away. So there's a lot of like mitigating factors, just raw being I'm I'm at ten and you're at eight, I should be winning. That's not always true. And there are some like unit abilities and command cards too to help when you're down activations. Um there are ones that blatantly mess with your opponent's activations, like the new, you know, Palpatine two pip. But there are also ones that um you know, anything you can do to force your opponent to do things that you want them to do is going to be helpful. So, like, Reckless Diversion is a perfect example, right? Like, you know, when you play Reckless Diversion, assuming you do it and you're positioned right, you're forcing your opponent to shoot at specific units, which means even if you might be down on activations, your other units are free to do stuff uh, that they may not be free to otherwise do. So, you know, make sure you're aware... Like, especially if you're building specifically a list that you know that you're going to have a lower activation count, make sure you're aware of what tools that list has, um, not only to directly mess with activations like Palpatine's card, but also to to force your opponent into places that you want them to go and ways places that they don't want to necessarily go themselves. 
So you force Zugzwang on your opponent because then they don't want to make the move instead of you not wanting to make the move. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said for just, you know, de denying your opponent's activations as, as best you can. Really, I mean, the thing about it is that, you know, we're talking about denying activations. It, it doesn't matter what side of the table you're on, right? Like, you want to be kind of doing this generically to some extent. Like, these are very common threads, and they're like, I want to suppress that unit. I want to start deleting your units from the board. Um, I think that you just need to, when you're down in activations, you have to focus on doing those things just so much more until you're kind of back to parity. You guys got any uh, any closing thoughts on activations? Just be aware of, of the board state at all times. Just This kind of goes into just playing well is, you have to actually look at the board and see what what things would do what things. Sorry, that's horrible. Uh, let me try again. All the hard-hitting um, analysis. All the hard-hitting analysis you can find right here on, on Notorious Gondos Podcast. Um, let's try that again. Um, you have to look at what could actually happen to you in any given turn, and you have to look at what certain units want to do. For example, if I've got a unit in cover, and there's like a line of sight blocker, and there's another unit that could move and shoot me, you have to think about, okay, is that unit actually going to move and shoot me, or is it going to interact with some other part of the board? Like, what does my opponent actually do? You have to actually try to make a read of some kind instead of, like, uh, just playing to all contingencies and then sort of, you know, being cowardly, and then your opponent just punishes you for your inaction. Yeah, I, I think we've, we're sort of, like, dancing around it a little bit, but uh, I think what it comes down to when you're down on activations and your your opponent's clearly got more units than you, he's going to be have a, a board presence that is probably more spread out. Um, he's going to be able to essentially make you decide how you're going to split up your army. When you make that decision, you know, these things are going to do X and these things are going to do Y, like that decision point, I think, is the biggest opportunity for success and failure when it comes down to uh, kind of riding the ship as far as the activation points go. You need to make sure that the units you are devoting to, you know, go deal with those units actually can handle the situation and at the same time you're not you know bringing yourself at such a disadvantage on the other side of the table that you know you're kind of losing two separate battles against two separate sets of units because they all of a sudden have you know they out activate you seven to three in one quarter of the board yep totally agree um any closing thoughts in general Not really. Not really. I mean, I could plug. I could plug my my YouTube channel or my not my YouTube channel, my Twitch. Well, so, so that's yeah. yeah go ahead. Let's, we should talk about that. Um, let's talk about uh, Invader League just really, really briefly. It's coming down to the wire here. Um, please visit Twitch.tv/slash Invader League on the 9th of November because that is going to be the last semifinal game between R1H4. Palpatine will be present. That's the Palpatine game in a mirror against Garn, who is running a really cool Boba Royal Guard Veers list. So that's going to come on the 9th of November. So please make sure you're, you're able to tune in around 6.30 p.m. Pacific, 9.30 p.m. Eastern for that. That should be a really cool game. Talk Polite's going to be casting. I'll be co-casting. So it should be a treat. It's going to be the last game before the finals and the bronze match. There, there was a game today without... Uh... 
giving away any spoilers. Um, it's on your it's on your Twitch channel, I assume. Yeah, right? it's yeah, it's on twitch.tv slash yavinbase. It's the VOD should be there. It was the rematch between Ellis and Kingsley, the season one champion. So it's gonna be a really, really cool video to watch. So please uh, if you have time, go ahead and hit that up. I will say, um, you know, some dice were rolled, some uh some stuff died. Luke did some stuff. Yeah, um, some saves weren't made. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Wounds were yeah. taken. I am, I am declining yeah. to say anything because my analysis of this game would completely give it away. So I'm just going to yeah. keep my mouth shut. Maybe we can talk about it later. Maybe next episode. Yeah, next episode will be... Obviously, this one will be long in the books, and then we'll have... Uh, garn and our ones game um so a couple days in the books so we could probably talk about both of them heck yeah and next week we will also probably have r1 on just to talk about palpatine whether he is uh he has been victorious you hear or not, that, so. you're gonna be here um, and you're gonna talk you are you are the palp expert is. so um we are all looking forward to it um so with that i am Orphan i'm Hades. dashes I'm endless. And we are the mouth breathers. Um, I mean, the notorious the scoundrels. And uh, we'll. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Later. Join us next time for another edition of the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. This has been a Fifth Trooper production.